Hello and welcome to Sake Revolution, America's first sake podcast. I am your host, John Puma from thesakenotes.com. I'm also the administrator of the Internet Sake Discord and an all-around sake nerd, just like you. And I'm your host, Timothy Sullivan. I'm a sake samurai, sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And together, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our very best to make it fun and easy to understand. So, John, you know, every week when we start, you mention that you're the administrator of the Internet Sake Discord. Now, I know a little bit about computers, but honestly, before you actually told me, I had no idea what a Discord was. So maybe for our listeners who are in the same boat, could you describe a little bit about what this Discord thing is? Sure. So a Discord is uh, it's basically just a, a chat room. Um, it's a service that was made originally for uh, video gaming, for, for people playing games to get together and chat about stuff in, in text and voice and video and, uh, and, then, and then play their games together. However, it's also become much more commonly used for just any kind of topic, not just video game stuff. Now, I am also the administrator of the Sake subreddit on Reddit, and I thought at one point that it would make a lot of sense for us to have a Discord chat to go with it so the people that were posting there can go and, and get together and make a little community and, uh, and chit-chat about Sake, and that's exactly what happened. All right, so Discord's kind of like a, a alternate alternative to Zoom, right? It's like a place where you can see each other and chat and talk to each other? Sort of. It's a little bit more text-focused. It's a little bit more mm. about typing to each other, but then there's audio rooms that you can go into uh, and speak. Uh, for the most part, it's uh, for us, what we do is mostly just chatting about sake, sending pictures back and forth of things we're drinking. It's a... it's. It's honestly a lot, a lot like a throwback to the old days of like internet relay chat, IRC, and like actually maybe like AOL chat rooms in a way. A message board kind of thing? Sort of, yeah. yeah wow. Well, yeah. if someone's interested in getting onto the Sake Discord, what, what's the best way to get there? Well, we are going to have an invite link in our show notes, and there's also a permanent uh, link that's always up at the reddit sake subreddit so that's reddit.com slash sake and just look for that internet sake discord post at the top and it's it's also an app right so it's something you have to download to your phone or your computer yes uh, it's an app that you can access on any computer or mobile device cool well i hope some people check it out um i had fun chatting on the sake discord and and i think it's something really cool that maybe a lot of people don't know about so check it out Great. That's, this, was, uh, this was my moment of uh, self-promotion. This was fun. <laughs> we all get one, don't we? <laughs> this is nice. Yeah, yeah. So um, so this week, Tim. Yes. Uh, we get to promote what you're up to. Uh, we are going to be going back into the Sake Education Corner. Yes. And the Sake Education Corner will continue to... Uh, continue to bring us on our journey through the making of sake yes so many steps so many steps but so many we, steps. we can see the finish line at in the distance so we're going to be talking about the the next step in sake production and maybe i could give a quick recap to what we've talked about so far please so do we please started do. with rice milling 
then right. raw materials processing, which is the rice washing, steaming, and soaking. Then we move on to koji production, that's making that molded rice that breaks down starch into sugar. Then from there, we move on to the shubo or the sake mother, that's the fermentation starter. Mm -hmm. And then we move on to moromi, which is the main mash fermentation, that's that 30 day uh, fermentation where we convert all the starches into sugar and then sugar into alcohol. And then we do pressing. And that's when we separate the unfermented rice from the finished alcohol. And you'd think we're done. Well, I thought we were done when you told me that we could drink that. <laughs> In some cases, then you said, done. no, John, there's more steps after this. We can't just drink the press sake. Yes. If you're in a hurry, you can drink out of the press. But for most of us, there's a few more steps involved. And today we're going to talk about the next step right after pressing, which is pasteurization. Yes. Now, uh, pasteurization, I think this is going to be an interesting topic because I think it's the only one, well, apart from maybe Shubo, which we learned in that episode, that is somewhat optional. Yes, it is. It's totally optional. You do not <laughs> totally have optional. to pasteurize. It's common, but it's sometimes it, it is optional. Yeah. When you finish uh, with pressing, a lot of the things you do are, um, you know, you can do them many different ways to create mm -hmm. different kinds of sake. And pasteurization falls right into that category. Um, in Japanese, it's called hi-ire. H-I-I-R-E. Hi-ire. Hi which All means right. put into the fire, <laughs> put into the heat or put into the fire. Okay. Yeah. And that, that, this, uh, this actually will help me understand some things that I've Google translated in the past. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So as, as most people I'm sure know, pasteurization is heat treating of something to make it shelf stable outside of refrigeration. So, in the case of sake, we uh, heat the liquid to mm -hmm. a point where the enzymes get deactivated and the bacteria and uh, any yeast that's still active all dies. And it makes it stable and, uh, you know, keeps it from spoiling outside of refrigeration. So we basically kill off any living, living thing that's still in there. Great. And now, if I'm not mistaken, we've got a couple of ways that we can do this. Yes, there's four variations when it comes to pasteurization. I don't know if you remember a few episodes I talked about Ban Ryu, the 10,000 yeah. ways of doing things. Yes. Well, we got four more right here. When, 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 we, when we start talking about Ban Ryu and the 10,000 ways, I thought that the sake uh, creation series was going to be a lot longer than <laughs> I originally anticipated. Well, we got... We are at episode 10,000. <laughs> We're going to be in the nursing home with that with that when we get yeah, to that final exactly ten thousand and first way to make sake. But luckily, here we only have four. Yes, today we only okay. have to deal with four, and one of them we've already talked about. So it's really yeah. only three new things we have to talk about. the The first one is skipping pasteurization altogether, and you know what that is called, right? That's nama. That's the raw stuff. That's right. So if you skip pasteurization, that's called nama. Nama means literally means raw. And it's just fully unpasteurized sake. And then there's another option. And to understand the next three options, it's uh, worthwhile to understand 
the process from this point. So after pressing, we mm-hmm. take the sake that's been pressed and that goes into, in most cases, goes into a storage phase for six months. That's okay. called chozo. So chozo is the word for storage. So mm-hmm. most sake is pressed, stored, and then bottled. Okay, so think of those three stops along the way. So you have the pressing, mm-hmm. then you generally put it in a tank and you store it for six months, and then it goes to bottling. Okay, so the normal progression is press, and you pasteurize once, then you store it for six months, you pasteurize again, and then you bottle. So there's a pasteurization on either side of that middle storage step, the six-month lagering step. Mm-hmm. So that's the second way you can do things. And that's the most common out of any of these is to pasteurize twice, once at the time of storage and once at the time of bottling. So -hmm. that keeps the sake very, very secure and prevents any possibility of spoilage because you're you're hitting it twice with the pasteurization step. So two fires. That's right. Yep. And so the first option was skipping both of those pasteurizations. And the second one we talked about was doing both of those pasteurizations. Can you guess what the other two options are? Uh, Tim, I'm going to assume (laughs) that they are going to be... Uh, introducing the pasteurization on one end or on the other end. Bingo. Oh, this was, yeah, that was hard. So there's, there's pasteurization where we skip the first pasteurization before storage and we only pasteurize Mm -hmm. at the time of bottling. And then the other option is pasteurize before storage, but that second pasteurization before bottling, we skip that one. So these are Mm -hmm. considered like half Nama. They're, they're only pasteurized once. So it's like Nama light. <laughs> Nama light. Yes. Uh, okay. So let, right. let me tell you All what right. both of those are called. So remember I said that that storage step, that's called Chozo, right. right? Yeah. So if you skip the first pasteurization and you store, you go into that Chozo or storage step as Nama, that step is called Nama Chozo. So Nama Chozo was once pasteurized, but only after storage. So that literally means stored as a Nama. Nama Chozo. Mm-hmm. And then the other option is Nama Zume. That's pasteurized once before storage, stored as a pasteurized product, and then not pasteurized a second time when you go into the bottling step. Interesting. So out of curiosity then, mm-hmm. with Nama Zume, mm-hmm. if you're you're pasteurizing it at, the, at that beginning step and killing off all of the you know, extraneous uh, living yeast, mm-hmm. bacteria, anything else that's mm-hmm. in there, and then letting it mature, and then you're bottling it. If everything's already been uh, slain, what are what are we doing? What do we? What is the purpose of? I guess the the, the broader question that I have is, what's the purpose of the second mm. pasteurization? Yeah. Well, you know, when the sake is sitting around for six long months, and it's going through new tubes and uh, uh, on its way through uh, the bottling equipment, uh, there is a chance for some microorganism to get introduced. It's a small Mm. chance, but uh, depending on how the sake is stored during those six months, uh, if it's stored at room temperature, if it's stored in a refrigerated environment, there's all these different factors. So when you have sake sitting around for six months, there is a chance for microbes to be introduced in some way. 
And out of an abundance of caution, the industry practice is to pasteurize, hit it one more time right when it goes into the bottle. And that will doubly ensure that the sake is completely free of any active uh, enzymes or any living organisms. All right. Okay. That's interesting. And, and obviously, I think the, the namachozo kind of speaks for itself and what makes it interesting because you're mm-hmm. having the the live stuff hanging around for that maturation stage. And then you're, you know, then you're, you're, you're stopping the growth at that point. So you have that, that whole stage where things are changing, things are moving potentially. Yeah. And that's interesting. Yeah. And that, that's actually Nama. We, we sometimes call it Nama Nama, the, the pure, <laughs> the pure Nama, because there's actually those two pasteurizations. So Nama Nama or whole Nama is, uh, the most dangerous because your sake is not protected in any way from the microorganism. You have to control that with temperature. It has to be refrigerated all the time. Mm. A nama chozo, where you store it as a nama and then pasteurize it only once as it goes into the bottle, that's the second most dangerous option because you have those six months it's sitting out as an unpasteurized product. And mm-hmm. uh, you have to be very, very uh, cautious and careful keeping that that temperature controlled so that bacteria or any microorganisms can't develop. So that's the second most risky one. The third most risky one is the namazume, where you're uh, pasteurizing it right out of the press, but you don't hit it again before bottling. And then the double pasteurization is the industry standard, and that's the most common by far, is the double pasteurization. Right. I, I would say that if you don't see the word nama anywhere on your sake, Chances are it's been double pasteurized. Exactly. And if you do see Nama on the label or the bottle, it can be any one of those three we talked about. It can be Nama <laughs> Nama, it can be Nama Chozo, or it can be Nama Zume. And sometimes they call out if it's Nama Chozo or Nama Zume. You, you've seen that, right, on some labels? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, in a, sometimes in Japanese, sometimes in English, sometimes both. Yeah. But if you see Nama on the label, you're the best way as a consumer to handle it is to assume it's a nama nama and keep it refrigerated just out of an abundance of caution. So mm-hmm. I, anything nama uh, adjacent, I, I keep it refrigerated for <laughs> sure. I think that's a, I think that's a safe bet. Okay, so let's talk about the three ways that you actually can do this pasteurization step. The first one is exposing sake in the bottle to hot water. And you can do this by putting the bottle into a hot water bath or actually running the bottle along a conveyor belt and it gets a shower of hot water. Uh, You want to bring the internal temperature of the sake up to about 150 degrees Fahrenheit. And again, that's going to deactivate the enzymes and kill any microorganisms. So exposing the sake to hot water while it's in the bottle is one way to do it. A second way to pasteurize sake is to run the sake through a pipe that is submerged in hot water. And that will raise the temperature of the sake, will go around and around under the hot water, uh, through the hot water, and then that will achieve the same end, bringing the sake temperature up to about 150 degrees Fahrenheit. And the third method for pasteurizing sake is called a heat exchanger. Heat exchanger. And the heat exchanger is basically a metal plates that 
have grooves in them. And sake is run through one side of the plate and a hot waters run through the other side of the plate and the metal plate the the liquids never touch but the metal plate transfers the heat from the hot liquid to the sake if you ever put a spoon into a cup of tea and let it sit there and you you touch the spoon to take it out and the spoon's really really hot from the hot water that's the same principle where the metal plate is going to transfer the heat from the hot water to the sake. So that's a heat exchanger method. So those are the three ways, the three production methods that we use for actually heating the sake to pasteurize it. Hmm, thanks for the explanation. I now know what a heat exchanger is. So Tim, though, I, I, we understand like when you have Nama, and we've talked about this in a previous episode that was dedicated to Nama, what that means as far as what that's going to bring out of your sake from a flavor standpoint. And we know what pasteurization is going to do, but what is Namazume going to do? What kind of impact is that going to have on flavor profile? And then the same question for Namachozo. Yeah, I think Namachozo and Namazume have one foot in both camps. Mm. And um, I think that anybody who says they can taste the difference between a namazume and a namachozo. <laughs> I don't You don't know if I, they're being I've never honest. Met, I've never met a sake expert who can uh, say they can taste the difference uh, by blind tasting the sake. So mm. I don't think there's a huge, uh, really perceptible difference um, between namachozo and namazume. Between fully unpasteurized and fully pasteurized, yes, you can taste the difference. Oh, yeah. Um, but namazume and namachozo kind of give you the best of both worlds, and it, it's they have one foot in each camp. So one way to look at it, it's a compromise, and you're not going to get that full, vibrant, nama, juicy flavor. Mm -hmm. But you don't get the more staid, quiet, um, more restrained version of the fully pasteurized. So it, it's a way to have a little one foot in both camps, you know what I mean? So you get a little bit of each style. And it's a nice compromise way of looking at things. And it, it's just a, a fun way to get a bit of zippiness without going full unpasteurized. You get a little bit of protection, um, but you know you also have a little bit of that zippy, juicy Nama flavor. Interesting. All right. All right. So, John, I think it's time we move on to some tasting. That's why we're here, right? I thought you'd never ask. All right. <laughs> so... Uh, Let's, as we always do, let's both introduce our sakes. Uh, why don't you go first and tell us what you've brought to taste today? So I brought a nama, a nama nama. Nama nama. Nama nama. Uh, this is uh, Fukachu Biho, Junmai Ginjo Nama. And it is from Hiroshima. Uh, and it is a... Genshu, actually, although it is the alcohol by volume is only about 15.5%. Uh, interestingly, though, this is uh, matured for a lot longer than most sakes. This is actually matured for 18 months. Wow. Yeah. You know, for, for a fully unpasteurized sake, that's kind of rare. Yeah. It's a, and a little, uh, it's probably going to be a little bit of a taste adventure, I think. It's probably going to be interesting. <laughs> it's going to be very exciting to see what, what happens with that. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm and, excited. The interesting thing about this sake, apart from the fact that you have a brewery in 
uh, in Hiroshima that is making uh, Junmai Ginjo, and they are they are known for having very very soft water. It's going to be hard to work with and hard to make delicate flavors out of. But uh, luckily, one of the only female brewery heads, Miho Emata, runs that place and is able to do really interesting stuff with sake. And that's what I have. Tim, what did you bring? Well, um, I brought an American sake. Um, oh. I got my hands on a new release from Brooklyn Kura, which is our local uh, Brooklyn sake brewery. Uh, this is their Catskills Junmai Daiginjo. And this is sold as a Nama Chozo. And now we all know what that means. Nama Chozo means stored as a Nama. So that means this was pasteurized once and that would be at the time of bottling, not with any storage previous to bottling. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm really excited to taste this. It's a Junmai Daiginjo, 50% uh, rice milling. It uses domestic Yamada Nishiki sake rice, 16% uh, alcohol, and an SMV of minus one. Mm. All right. So uh, that's what I've got. I'm excited to uh, explore both of these sakes, but since you have the Nama and that's more perishable, why don't you go first? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think a few minutes is going to make a big difference, Tim, but okay. Well, you can never be too careful. <laughs> ha yeah, having said that, if somebody asks me to have a drink, I'm not going to. Okay. Not going to decline. Okay, so. Wow. This sake has an aroma. Like it is <laughs> capital A. <laughs> yes. Um, oh wow! It is so so aromatic. There's so much um, fruit and green grapes. It's it mm. is muscat. Those green grapes is all over. Just like just mm, just bursting out. Like this is this smells juicy in that way that we talked about mm. Nama before. Nama is being very juicy. Just having a, a big flavor, I actually cannot wait to, to stop talking and start sipping. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to do that. Yep. Mm. Yeah. This lives up to the nose completely. It is 100% imbalance. So mm. what you smell causes you to expect it to taste a certain way, and it does that exactly. It is... Uh, it is 100% the sake that you expect it to be based on what you, uh, based on its aroma. Like, this is wonderful. And it is big, juicy, fruity, uh, a ginjo lover's ginjo. And and maybe a nama lover's nama? I don't know. Maybe, we, we maybe it's a little tame for that, though. It's not, it's, it's not as wild as some anamas I've had. But it's important to mention that, you know, sometimes you smell a sake and what you get on the taste is very different. Like you're like, is this the same sake? I, I so think we've had situations on this very show where we've, yeah. we've felt that the sake was somewhat out of balance mm -hmm. because the, the aroma that was making a promise <laughs> that the sip couldn't live up to. And here it's, yeah. they are making good on it. This is wonderful, wonderful sake. And for something that's been stored for 18 months, unpasteurized and then bottled yeah. unpasteurized and then shipped across the world. Um, yeah. I am, I am impressed at how uh, focused of purpose the sake seems to be mm. wonderful, wonderful stuff. 
I can only imagine what it tastes like right out of the press. It must be insane. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's got to be. I mean, I imagine that the 18 months is going to mellow it a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what you would expect. Right. So, yeah, I can't imagine having this out of the press must be just bonkers. (laughs) This must be a really exciting socket to have that way. What's the finish like? Does it linger a long time or is it is it kind of short? Can you taste it after you finish sipping? Does it does it stay with you for a long time? It a little bit. It doesn't overstay mm. its welcome, but mm-hmm. it's so good that you kind of want it to continue so you have another sip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it is one of those sakes and it is yeah, it doesn't it doesn't like yeah, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't uh drop off either it just kind of fades away mm-hmm. that's good it sounds really well integrated like all the different it is it. this is a wonderfully balanced sake like it is uh i just feel like every every stage of it feels very purposeful and very uh very in control even though it is <laughs> uh on paper it seems like something that would be wildly out of control mm. well that's that's the sign of a true master brewer you know maintaining that integrity and that integration on something that's anama like unpasteurized which is one of the hardest things to control uh that really speaks to miho-san's um ability as a master brewer mm-hmm. just fantastic yeah uh, i did not mention this earlier but the rice type on this one is uh, yamara nishiki and it mm-hmm. is uh polished down to 50 percent mm-hmm. but even though it is polished at fifty percent, I can definitely tell why they t- why they chose to call this a ginjo. It is so very Junmai ginjo. All right, I, I'm I gotta stop uh, ex- exuding my uh, my my positivity on this and give you a chance <laughs> to talk for a bit. <laughs> All right, well let me let me get my sake out here. All I have right. the again the Brooklyn Kura Junmai Dai Ginjo uh, Cat Skills. I'm going to give this a pour. All right. Let's see here. Hmm. So one way I, I judge how uh, aromatic a sake is, is when do you smell it? Mm-hmm. Do you smell it when the glass is, uh, you know, eight inches away from your nose? Or do you have to put your your nose right up to it? Or do you actually have to stick your nose into the glass to smell it? Mm -hmm. And I smelled this the moment I poured it. It it had uh, exuberant aroma. Mmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah? It is uh, (laughs) lovely. uh, Very fruity, Mm -hmm. uh, but complex. Mmm. It smells like a nama. I think if I were to, again, this is a nama chozo, so they did pasteurize this as it went into the bottle. Right. And normally that, again, that quiets the sake down a little bit. But this has still has a lot of exuberance. And, you know, honestly, one of the differences might be that this came from Brooklyn, about five miles away from where I'm sitting, versus another nama chozo all the way from Japan might be a little bit more quiet given the transportation time. But sure. I got this uh, super, super fresh. That's one of the advantages of having a sake brewery in your town. So, John, we're super lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, up until now, it's just been a, oh, what do we, we need to move to Japan if I want to have this experience. <laughs> exactly. So um, there's some wonderful melon, mm. um, honeydew, uh, just these wonderful melon aromas. 
and tropical fruits too, papaya, mm-hmm. a little bit of mango, uh, but there's a, a, a rich edge to it, a juicy edge to it. Mm. Very, very wonderful aroma. I'm going to give it a taste. Mm. So um, it has some fruitiness on the palate as well, but there's a bright acidity there. Oh. And acidity is not something we talk about that much because most sake has a really subdued acidity. But this sake has, has a brightness to balance um, the, the sweeter components that come through with those uh, tropical flavors. Um, and uh, it has a really nice, um, just a, a little touch of acidity to balance that out and give you a brightness at the finish. So this one doesn't linger as long on the palate as you might get with a comparable uh, wine flavor. You know, wine might linger a little bit more. This one has a little bit more of a shorter finish. Mm-hmm. And I agree with what you said earlier, John, that it, it leaves you wanting for the next <laughs> sip. And uh, yeah. that's something that I, I commonly find in sake, that the finishes are perhaps a touch more restrained, and it leaves you ready for the next bite of food or the next sip of sake. Oh, yeah. Now I just want to sit more of this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, speaking of food, let's talk about some pairing ideas for our sake. Oof. Uh, you I go know first. With namas, it's hard. With <laughs> namas, it's hard. It is. Because um, um, because it's a nama, I want to say bigger flavors. Mm. But it's still a Junmai Ginjo. It's like, you know, it is a, it's a Junmai Ginjo lover's Ginjo, and it is yeah. so uh, fruity. And I feel... I, I feel like I'd be a little worried about introducing stronger um, stronger dishes to it. So I might stick with, you know, with the lighter things, stick with the mm. white fish, you know, that sort of thing. I'll start with, you know, maybe some, oh, yeah, white fish sounds really good with this, actually. Mm. Maybe some shrimp. Shrimp would be good. Oh, yeah. I had a. Um, I tend to do this a lot when we talk about this, but I refer to a very specific dish that I just had. And okay. I, I recently had. Um, we made cod, which is a very classic white fish. Absolutely. But we had we had uh, it topped with an herb panko crust with lemon zest. Ooh, that so sounds it was herbs really and lemon zest, mm-hmm. and then it was uh, roasted uh, white fish uh, cod, and uh, that had. The wonderful, mellow, little bit of umami flavor of white fish, very mild, mm-hmm. a nice texture from the from the panko, and then it had that hit of lemon zest, and that that little touch of acidity reminds me of this sake, and I think that would be a knockout combination, Ooh. just killer. I'll get you the recipe. I yeah, could you please? I'll, pu- <laughs> I'll put it on the internet Discord. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'll sake post it Discord. to the sake, the sake Discord. Discord. <laughs> Anyone who wants the uh, cod panko recipe, just visit the sake Discord, and we'll put it up. There. Uh, no, I, I like no, it. no, we're gonna visit the, <laughs> the, the we're gonna visit the uh, the. N- <laughs> Shit. Tim, I think you want this to go in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna put this in the show notes. I'll get that recipe for cod with panko and lemon zest. So good. Ah. Uh, so now we're hungry yep. and we're thirsty. Mm. I, I just ate before we started recording and I, I want to eat all over again. <laughs> well, I waited because I knew I was going to get hungry. We always talk about these fantastic food and sake combos. Uh, but this sake is absolutely fantastic and uh, it has really great balance. And 
you know, if you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be enjoying domestically made sake so much, I just wouldn't have believed you. It's really, it's a, it's a whole, it's a brave new world, John. It is, it, really it is. is, it is. <laughs> I, I was, I, I'm consistently impressed with what we're able to do these days here in America with sake. It's shocking to me. Um, you know, I think that, I think that also when we were, and you have much more of a head start than I do, but when we were first getting into sake, it was a, a fantasy almost. I have more of a head start. Is that, is that your polite way of saying I'm, I'm a little bit more mature than you are? <laughs> All I was saying is you've been drinking sake longer than I have, sir. <laughs> Since my elementary school days. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I, I'm just saying that you've been drinking sake longer than I have. I, I started in 2006, <laughs> as, we've, as, as we've detailed on this very show. And I believe you started, uh, what, like 2005? 2005. No. 2005. Five? Yes. Really? I, it was March 2005 was my first premium sake. Huh. Why did I think you'd been drinking it longer? Probably because mm. you started the urban sake site a lot earlier than I did anything. Aha, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, it's all yes. coming together. <clears throat> well, no, I am older. I am older than you are, and that's proof positive that I don't know what an internet sake discord is. So <laughs> <laughs> that's proof that you're you're younger and hipper. I totally I admit to that for sure. Younger, I will give you. Hipper, <laughs> I, we're splitting hairs. We've, <laughs> we've both we've both told too many dad jokes on this podcast to be to be either one of us too hip, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, uh, this was a lot of fun. I, you know, you know, the one thing that um, I am a little bit sad about is that because we're not uh, together in the same room, we're doing all these by Zoom now because of social distancing. I can't taste the sakes that you have and vice versa. So that's a little bit of of a downer. But I can't wait to get my hands on that sake you were tasting today. It is uh, phenomenal. Now, uh, I am a I'm at a somewhat of an advantage because I did taste the sake that you had today just a few weeks ago and I have not stopped raving about it. So (laughs) I, uh, I'm glad you got to experience it too. It's really, it's really something special. They're doing some good stuff over there. Yeah. So since you tasted it as well, would you agree with my tasting note, my comments? Uh, yeah, I thought that the, 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 when you first started, when you first mentioned that you, when you, were able to get the aroma from a, a large distance because it was so powerful. I was, I was like, yes, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I remember when I first opened it up, I poured it into a wine glass and I was just like, Whoa, like, like am I a super sniffer today or what? Uh, and realized, no, it is just very, very aromatic. Um, I think you're a super sniffer every day. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> this is the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> Well, we both got awesome sakes. I think we both won today. We did. There's no did. losers in Sake Revolution today. None. Never are. Never are. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for tuning in. We had a lot of fun today. Um, if you can, please take a moment and rate our show on Apple Podcasts. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes because, you know, we're all very busy, we want you to subscribe. This way, every week, our podcast will magically show up on your device of choice. And as always, to learn more about any of the topics or sakes or recipes we mm. talked about in today's show, uh, please be sure to visit our show notes. They're at sakerevolution.com. 
And as always, if you have a sake question that you need answered, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and kampai.